0: So how did you move from? I mean, you're in Mississippi now. What? What? What was your journey?
1: My wife wanted to move to be near her family and to raise our daughter in a place that wasn't so crazy as where we were. Yeah. Um. Though, you know, I was after God moved me to Venice. I realized I was really fit for it. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't wasn't something that I. There there were some elements that I didn't like. Yeah. But but on the whole, there was there was such a. Wide range of people, and I found out that some of these homeless people were really, really just displaced people. All right. That they were some of them were brilliant, yeah. and um, most of them were had mental issues because of drugs and uh, broken families and lives and that.
0: Bob, you were—you were—I mean, there was whatever it was about you that kind of made you very independent thinker, uh, tough guy in a lot of ways. Uh, going to do what you think is right, no matter what, fit you for Venice. I mean, you you were, you were ready to take on the the crazies. And, and like you said, you don't want them coming back out the door crazy. They come in crazy.
1: Yeah. Uh, you fit. Yeah. Yeah, I did. And, uh, you know, it's funny. Now, so over the course of that time, a church changes a place. Right. Yeah. And so Venice went from being this crazy, wild place to now being – most expensive town in California. (laughs) So what
0: what happened ministry-wise in Minnesota, in um, Mississippi?
1: Well, in Mississippi, man, every church is a mega church. Yeah. Everybody goes to church. Yeah. Um, That might be, there are some, there are some who are deeply committed to the Lord. It's, I have to tell you, Ralph, I don't really like a big church. Right. I didn't like mine that much when it got big. All right. um, I shouldn't call it mine, but yeah. um, it, you lose it. You whatever your vision and desire for the church is, always stays within that first forty to eighty people. Yeah. And then, then whatever whatever kind of religious feelings or whatever people have after that that core, uh, they become. It becomes very confused, and uh, you don't even know why people are there after a while. some
0: situations it's it's almost an entertainment thing. I mean it uh, can be can be overtly we do through the music and all that but sometimes even just a good preacher is a good entertainer yeah. uh, that's we have to all be afraid of
1: yeah I, I mean I had people and I knew that was true. I used to say, you know okay don't, you've got your dancing monkey monkey my staff, people, after a while, you know, I'm the dancing monkey and, and people would come and, they'd, and I had, I had actors, I had this one beautiful little actress, a girl named Carrie Russell. She drove, she's very successful, at her own television show and everything. She drove 40 minutes every Sunday, just to come see me. Wow. And, and I thought, you know, I guess that's good that people do come to see you, but that's not what you want. I mean, you want that. I mean, there's part of you that wants that. But what you really want is for them to grab a hold of the Lord. Yeah. You know, it's um and then you and then you realize that everybody that calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And there's there's always no matter what you think about their progress, mm-hmm. God's gonna take them down that road. All right. And you know, we try to make it so they go down the road easy. And but he's gonna take them down the road his way. Yeah. And and people that do really that don't fare well, people who don't do well in church, who have been, who've received the Lord, he's still going to do his work in them yeah. and make it happen. You know, he's going to, I always, uh, I got to the point where I realized I prayed and asked Jesus into my heart when I was five. And I said, you know, Jesus, Jesus didn't save this old messed up guy. Excuse me. He saved, he saved that five-year-old boy and he never let go. Yeah. You know, it's like, no matter how messed up I've been, mm-hmm. He never left me or forsake me. Sure. He'd never leave me or forsake me, just like he said. And so, you know, I think I think as pastors and people who deal with other people, what we need to realize is just just let them go. Just just preach the gospel, love them as the best you can, yeah. and let them go. This because God's God's gonna do that work in them. And you know, I've had a guy, fifteen, what's been almost twenty years later, a guy. We met up in New Orleans just to have a little time together. We hadn't seen each other. He just goes, "Man, I just want to tell you how much you, it'd be like me talking to you." You know, yeah. just you can't believe how much you mean to my life.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, so that's the that's the sweet spot. You know, that's the that's the good thing. It's like,
0: so so you've you stepped back from pastoral ministry uh, w- when did that happen? What, what, what led up to it? What were you doing? What were you doing in Mississippi?
1: Well, when I got to Mississippi, I wanted, I actually start, thought about just starting a, a group. And, and then I found out everybody went to church. Uh-huh. And, uh, so that, you know, I, that just basically didn't work. So I just kept being me. I worked with this. When I first went, to, I got a job at the home Depot when I got out of so would have something to do and make some money. And, um, When I was going into this job, I was going to be a flooring specialist for them. And I was told by all these people before I ever came out to uh, Mississippi that this guy in there is going to be really tough to work with. And uh, he doesn't get along with anybody. So (laughs) I go in and, you know, he starts snapping at me about something. And I asked him, I said, did you forget your meds today? Uh And uh, he kind of smiled at me and a little one day, a couple of days later, my wife came in and she charms everybody. So anyhow, she just told him, she goes, right. see. I had been, when I got this job, I was like the number one sales guy for them. Yeah. And he thought, I, and that's what he was in the store. And he, mm-hmm. he thought, Oh, they got somebody here. You know, he was, he was insecure. But anyhow, we started getting to know each other a little better. He's been my best friend now for all the years. I've met some really great people. Yeah. Um, not a bunch of them, but I keep ministering. A couple of days ago, I was, you um, know, I just, I look for the opportunities. And uh, a couple of days ago, I was out breaking the rules and meeting with a bunch. I, looked, I go looking for crowds to hang out with. And um, I met this uh, Asian guy I didn't know at the time. He turned out that he was Vietnamese, but he was a Buddhist. And we spent an hour talking, and he goes, he, he he acknowledged in our conversation that there's got to be a God. You know, the Buddhists don't really believe in a God. Yeah, yeah. And he said, there's got to be a God. And he he agreed to go and read the Gospel of John. And um, something I always you know, remember, remember from, from you and agree with completely is that when a person says, I think I'll go to church or I think I'll read the Bible or I think I'll do something like that and then something happens on the way and they get killed or whatever, uh, then they didn't get the church to get saved. No. And, and that's just wrong. Right. The fact is, as soon as that they were responding to that call, right. that's God doing his work and the rest of the judgment's up to God, not to any of us. But um, that was just really, it was really great. And that was a result of more rebellious Bob going out, hey, looking for a crowd when you're supposed to stay away. I don't know about you, Ralph. You might, God might still have a lot of work for you to do. But hey, if I can get a ticket home, I'm going. You know, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) It's like everything's a rerun. You know. (laughs) Yeah. But you know
0: what? I I think you got a lot of legs under you, and and um, one of my frustrations right now, I've been I've been around a long time. So anyway, one of one of the things that I see is church has become this kind of machine in America, you know, you got all these big churches and you got, especially going the South. I, I get in the South every so often. And I get into that culture where, you know, it's like, everybody goes to church, but you know, is everybody walking with the Lord? That's the big question. And, but there's so many people that are put off by all that. And, and we're seeing young, this, this new generation, especially uh, looking at the way churches spend money, looking at the the show that they put on, don't like it. Uh, And you got, but it's not just a generational thing. You got a lot of people out there that just, they're not buying what the church is selling. and, And yet Jesus is still the Lord and he still loves these people. And I think if we go back and take a look at the new Testament, you know, I can't imagine all those guys at the well in Samaria after Jesus left there and that woman and their relationship with her and that nothing happened afterwards. You know, I, I think there was a little church. It looked like a synagogue. We know that a synagogue wasn't some professional preacher guy. He was some guy that just took time to, to know God, know the word, and, and was the leader in his own town, his own community, and, you know, probably, you know, put horseshoes on donkeys or did something for a living. And I'm I'm looking for, uh, I mean, we're trying to raise an army of people that'll they kind of, do what you do with that Vietnamese guy, but then maybe after that start meeting in the same bar every Thursday night, and pretty soon there's a, there's a group that, that I would call a church, you know, five, 12, 15 people, and um, and, and, and to me, I think that that, you know, that's, you're, and you're, you're, I mean, we're back to where we were a long time ago. You're prime
1: candidate for that kind of stuff. Well, you know, interestingly, I was talking to my wife this morning. We've got some friends, Who've become disenchanted in some way? They're they're really neat people. They've become disenchanted with the fellowships that they've had. One of them they helped start, and then they started getting the people you know the people that they wanted to bring in. But the they're upset because the pastor not only brought these people in, which was good, but he he allows them to continue in lifestyles that are contrary to mm-hmm. to. Uh, good morals, I guess. And, and he puts them in positions. I want anybody, everybody to come to church, you know, come and hear the word of God. And I used to say to people, if you have things that Christian, if you have something in your life that Christians put you down for, and you're trying to trust and believe in God, he said, trust and believe in God anyway. Don't let people take that away from you. Right, right. But I mean, that's what you, that's all you've got. Well, anyhow, these people, now that have kind of moved out of their churches because they think that it's just gone too far over to the other side and just allows everything more than allows everything. It kind of perpetuates it. So anyhow, they've, they've said it and mentioned it a few times. I think we're going to start a, a study. I still get frustrated when
0: I talk to guys like you and, 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 and here's what frustrates me. It's a stinking word. It's just a word, the word, study, Bible study. It's like if, if if two or more get together in Jesus' name, why is that not his what he called his ecclesia, his called out ones? Yep. And especially if you don't fit someplace else, uh, and you do fit together and Jesus is with you, I think that's a church. And I think for sure, I mean you know the book of Acts really well. It looks a lot more like the church when it when it got going then, than than, then, then, what we call church today. And one thing that I think about a lot, and I'm preaching here, is that I, I read, I, I tend to read Luke and Acts together because Luke, you know, put them both down on paper. Although I think the Holy Spirit wrote them, and I, I see them as a, as one long continuum. You know, it, it starts with the birth of Jesus and it goes all the way on to, you know, Paul being in Rome. But as if I read it in that way, kind of historically. Then I look at Acts chapter 2, chapter 3, 4, 5, when the church is at 3,000 people, then it's at 5,000 people, and the disciples of Jesus went nowhere. They were told, go to the whole world with the gospel. Right. kept their butt in Jerusalem. And even when persecution came, everybody, you know, except the apostles left. So everybody else obeyed except the apostles, they stayed. And and then I, I see it go to you know, to all over the Mediterranean by people whose names we don't know. Then it gets to Antioch, started a church by people whose names we don't know. And then Paul and Barnabas get going and they go out and, and like, like in uh, Acts 14 is one of my favorite places in scripture where Paul gets stoned and they actually think they killed him. And then he and Barnabas go back into the city and then they go back to the cities where they've been. And it says they the, among their disciples, they appointed elders in every city. Well, these had to be like, what we're calling micro church and we're not, we didn't get the guys names and you know, names aren't important. Our personal identity isn't important. But
1: we we'd get names that's so we'd right. never in whose house it was at.
0: That's right. That's right. So
1: there, were two, there were sort of two streams in the church. There was the one, the esta- sort of the establishment, that Jerusalem thing that right. went nowhere and yeah. became a burden on the rest of the church. Right. And, and then there's, the, all the rest of them out there, which were basically home churches, right? They might have met. They might have met in synagogues or other places like that. But they were basically just groups of people who got together. You know, Ralph, I really think that the future should be neighborhood home churches.
0: Absolutely,
1: and if I home- could get everybody on my, you know, if I could have a, a home yeah. church and then get people around each block all around the country to have their little home churches which had nothing to do with some pastor getting paid or right. uh, it had nothing, you know, the, the people who were elders and all that kind of stuff would emerge. That would just, it would be a gift rather than an appointment.
0: That's why I'm preaching at you right now. Cause I, I, I believe two things. I believe one, what you just said needs to happen. And I believe that if you read the book of Acts as a continuum, the the, the first few chapters of acts are when the church was immature not when it was mature and when it got mature it's what you just described it was in the neighborhoods it was with guys that were tradesmen or whoever knew what the heck they were but they didn't get paid for it they just they just started it and so that's my where i said my beef with you is over this word bible study because i think what we too often have demoted to bible study is actually the church and we ought to call it that and we had to aggressively go after doing it. And and it's going to basically, I mean, we're back to Venice, California, or back to Manhattan Beach when I went there. It the, the the people who are most open to the gospel are the people who, I mean, if you say you hate God, you at least admit that he lives. And yeah. uh, if your life's a little screwed up and, and you wouldn't fit in most churches, then you're probably the people that we ought to be most interested in making friends with. And, And it's the friendship circle that I'm going to call a church. Well, I've had a philosophical perspective.
1: I don't care what they say they are. As far as I'm concerned, you're a Christian, so I pray. And I expect them to join me. Because, you know what, Ralph, I believe that really underneath it all, and I believe this because of my own personal life, I believe that God is more there than people want to admit, that God has spoken to them, that God has been knocking on their door. And the responsibility is not mine to satisfy them by not acting religious or spiritual. The, the problem's theirs.
0: You know, I'm not going to call them Christians, but I'm going to treat them all like they're Christians. You know yeah. I, I just, I'll just pray with anybody. Anytime somebody whines about something, I want to pray with hey, them. let's
1: pray. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and that works pretty darn well because what you just said, the Holy Spirit's already working in their life. And all we got to do is kind of figure out where we fit in. But it really starts with, I think, making friends. I live in a Christian ghetto. It's really interesting. I I live in a neighborhood where almost everybody is is what's called a Chaldean Catholic. They all come from Iraq, and they're new immigrants. It's pretty easy to pray with my neighbors. It's getting me to that point where I'm praying with the guy that I just met at Starbucks that is where evangelism happens. But once they pray with you, they're 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 usually willing to get together and talk about it. And yeah, you know, I kind of all start with questions about, well, what do you think about God? And and instead of preaching at them, I listen to them, and then they always do the favor back. You know, what do you think about God? And I get to tell them.
1: I've always believed that our preaching was just the dancing monkey show. The <laughs> you know the people we come in, they like us. We seem pleasant. We break the preacher can break down walls, barriers. So that people are not—they're not seeing it as somebody trying to make them religious or yeah. uh, do something against their will. Yeah. And, and so I, I think that I'm not saying that the, the preacher, the teacher doesn't have a function. They do, obviously, they do. So the so what the church we still have to do is teach tr- truth. Yeah. You know, we still see in the scripture that it's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. Yeah. You know that that doesn't come about. That comes about by by the work of a teacher that doesn't come about by some natural sort
0: of no, but that, but that comes about, uh, I think in what you said a minute ago is in that uh, we are, we can sit and argue over these things and, and, and people are drawn to conclusions when, when, when they have to dig. I mean, the weakness of the church that I see today is it's a spectator sport. And when you get together in small groups and 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 maybe haggle over what scripture's saying, um, th- there's a role for a teacher in that. And, and a lot of times, I think the role of the teacher is ask questions more than than spotting right. stuff that we've been taught to do. A little more Socratic
1: yeah. method. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. It's like just to say we point, we may point to scriptures and say, well, in light of that, yeah, uh, because I have seen groups get off onto you know, philosophical right, right, right. debates that had nothing to do with being, you know, we, we need to base it in the script.
0: I got to tell you a story. I took uh, three young guys through uh, mere Christianity. And then I took them through Francis Schaefer, How shall we then live? And we watched the films and they're all like 20 years old. And so they, you know, they loved it when they found out that Lewis's first name was Clive. So they call him Clive all the time. And then uh, Francis Schaefer became Frank when we got to there. And so they come into my house and my wife makes spaghetti or chili and we just sit around chew the fat. And, um, these guys, um, today two of them are pastors and one is an atheist professor of philosophy and religion at the university of Hawaii. (laughs) So I, 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 I didn't do so well as I thought, but anyway, when we hit Francis Schaefer, they get two, three, you know, of the videos in and they go, um, One night they're all they're all excited because we'd chew this stuff up we'd argue over it you know I want to I want to get the argument going because I think I think a lot of the Holy Spirit has time to reveal stuff when you get people fussing yeah I do they all come in they're all excited because they figured out that that Clive is smarter than Frank and I go what makes you say that Clive's smarter than Frank well Clive only uses simple words in simple sentences. And he says really heavy stuff. And Frank comes along and says the same kind of heavy stuff, but he gets all complicated. And so you got to be smart to make it simple and, and yet still make it a little bit confusing. And Clive's smarter than Absolutely. Frank. Absolutely. All right. I'm letting you go. Take care.
1: All right, brother. Hey, thanks for being you, man. If you
0: enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at Ralphmore.net.